this statement which resonated with me today. I won't take credit for it. It was a different preacher. But he said it so simply, and it resonates with me. He said, you can't identify as both a son and a victim. I'm going to say that again. You can't identify as both a son and a victim. What does that mean? Either you've been saved, set free, adopted, brought under the sonship of the Father, or that doesn't apply to you, and somehow you're still an orphan, and you don't fit under the criteria of that. It's that simple. And the fact is that we have to decide who are we? What is my foundation? How do I view God? How do I view myself? Am I a victim? Is everything against me? Is everything woe unto me? Or have I been saved by the blood of the lamb and I have a reason to live? I have a reason to call him father. I have a reason to identify myself as a son and as a daughter. This is the foundation which Anne talked about yesterday. Our salvation must embrace him as father and we must embrace ourselves as sons and daughters. Romans 8, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, hear this, are the children of God. Led by the Spirit, those are his children. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Come on now, you're not an orphan, you don't live in fear anymore. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, set you free from the orphan mentality. And to him we cry, say it, Abba, Father. We acknowledge him as Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, we must make the choice to embrace salvation and embrace him as Father. And until the view of the Father is correct and we view him in that light, I'll never be able to view my own life and myself correctly. We've got to view him as Father. We have to view ourselves as sons and daughters. And this is why what I want to talk about tonight is so important. The fruit of out of our mouth is critical to our identification and how we see ourselves. Because out of our mouth, what? Heart speaks. Meaning what I speak is what I believe. If I'm always in fear... My heart's afraid. It's not of God. If I believe I don't belong, I believe I'm an orphan in my heart. I speak those things. I declare it over my life. That which we speak stems from what we believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I love this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith. Your heart and your mouth flow together. They're not separate. You can't claim to identify yourself as one thing, but speak in a different light. Anne says this well. Sometimes we give the devil too much credit. It's like, man, I'm all beat up and tired and depressed. Maybe it's because I've been speaking that over myself all week. Come on now. Maybe I've been telling myself, man, I'm tired. Man, I don't feel good. Man, I'm in pain. I need to go rest. That's me speaking that. What am I believing? Well, it's coming out of my mouth. I'm acknowledging the identity that I feel this way. I'm acknowledging the identity that I'm struggling with this. 
And it's a very dangerous place. And praise God for altars where we can come and we can respond and we can turn to the Lord. But if that becomes our end goal and our end destiny, we are never going to grow past that point. The altar is designed to bring us to a place of change where we go into his image where we leave the old man behind, where we leave the old evil thoughts behind, where we leave the old sin and the old compromise behind, and we step into the life of salvation, which he called us to live in. That's called being a son. I may have been a prodigal. I may have messed up, but Lord, I am forsaking that in my life, and I am pursuing the identity which you have for me. That is sonship. Not someone who gets it right every time, but one who knows where their true identity really lies. Not in the things of this world, not in my mistakes, not in the things which I absorb my mind in, but Lord, no, my life was set apart for a greater call outside of my own understanding. I am a son of the Most High God. We must speak that into identity. Speak it to overcome to speak otherwise, quite frankly, is to doubt the power of our salvation. If we're so caught up in bondage and shame, then why did Jesus come? If we're so caught up in sin and tormented by the work of it, what is the point of salvation? He already paid the price, church, so that we can live in the freedom and the life which he created for us to live in. We have a choice. We have a part to play in our salvation. And the beauty of it is the war has already been won because he paid the true and ultimate price. He paid the price so that we could live. He paid the price so that we could find freedom. He paid the price so that we could find peace. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and circumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. <laughs> were we once condemned? Absolutely. When Jesus came and paid the price, were we anymore? No. He paid the price for it. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities which work against you, he made a spectacle of them and triumphed over them. He's already determined the outcome of the battle. He's given us everything we need to overcome. We have to make the choice if we're gonna walk in what he gave us. It's a choice. Romans chapter eight, verse 31. For what then shall we say in response to these things? If our God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, all of us. And said this, and it rattled myself briefly, I'm sure it rattled all of us. Not everyone's a son or a daughter. Did he pay the price for all? Yes. How many pick up the identity of that and receive it? Fewer than all. Salvation's a choice. Picking up the cross is a choice. And he's given us everything we need to overcome. I'll close with this. I want to touch on the victory delivered in Christ's resurrection because this is essential. 1 John chapter 3 says, The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the works of the devil. The risen Savior destroyed the works of the devil. On the other side, on paying the price, being nailed to the cross, being rose again, destroyed the works of the devil. If we're still contemplating our salvation and we haven't come on the other side of our own grave, we're never going to be able to destroy the works of the devil. If we do not embrace the power of the resurrection and what is living inside of us, we will never take hold the authority to confront the works of evil. Just as he arose, so must we. Just as he was driven by eternity, so must we. Just as he was so captivated by the glory of God, so must we to overcome the works of the devil. And this is our place that we're in now because Jesus has finished his work. He paid the price. He gave the ultimate atonement for all flesh. And he delegates the job of enforcing his victory and taking forth the territory in our hands. There is a responsibility and a price to being a part of the move of God in the earth. Bringing forth change and transformation has a price. Being a carrier of the presence of God has a price. And until we embrace ourselves under the identity of the Father, we will never view ourselves correctly and we will never walk in what He created us to walk in. 1 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. This is Paul talking to Timothy. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us, say, power. Power, love, and discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I'm going to change this part what says us to me, and I want everyone to read it in the context of me because it applies to all of us tonight. He has saved me and called me to a holy life, not because anything I have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given to me in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. <laughs> that is why I'm suffering as I am. Because my life is not my own. My choices are not my own. My future is not my own. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I'm convicted that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Are we victims or are we sons and daughters? Are we victims or are we sons and daughters? The truth of our identities in his word, it's clear. The truth of our mission and our mandate and our calling is clear. It's in his word. It's up to us if we want to believe that and if we want to walk in what he has for us.
So we're going to start praying here. Here's the thing. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And then he goes on the next chapter and say, as he is, so are also we in this world. That means the power of God in you should also be destroying the works of the devil. Jesus won that ability at the cross and destroyed him there. But now you are not going out to win the victory. You're going out to enforce the victory. You live to enforce the victory. And so I don't have to win it. I just enforce it. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. He conquered. We're the more than. Jesus is the conqueror. We're the extra sauce. We're the people coming after the initial conquering to enforce the conquering. This is why the power of God lives in you to set people free. But the problem is I can't set people free of what I'm speaking over myself. I can't go and confront the darkness tormenting people when it's tormenting me. And so many Christians never get to the point of delivering people because they come back under condemnation that they've been delivered from already. How do I know? Because I've done this many times in my life. Elijah was the great prophet. He called fire down. He dealt with Baal and all those false prophets only to run and hide and become condemned by Jezebel. If you've read the story in 1 Kings chapter 17. And so what happens to us is we fluctuate coming in and out of places of confidence to places of vexation because we're living in a world fighting non-human entities invisible things called rulers, powers, and principalities in high places that are working against us. And so what God is doing with us, his word and his power is convincing us of who he is. So we stop saying things about ourselves that he didn't say that he isn't. Because whenever I believe that stuff and say it, I stop becoming that enforcer of the power of God. And I start becoming moved upon by darkness and it's working on me instead of me confronting it. The church is not supposed to be a place that hosts attenders. It's supposed to be a place of discipleship, creating men and women that go out into the earth full of the Holy Ghost and set people free and confront the wickedness that's destroying them and tormenting them. And so tonight, we're going to pray. Alex said all that. And I'm just adding this exhortation to say this. We need to pour out to God for a few minutes all the vexation and unbelief and doubt and things working against us that make us think that we're condemned, that make us think that we haven't arrived at something. All the lies of hell working on us, all the, the lies of men, all the vexation, all the condemnation, all the pressure and the evil working on us to make us feel deflated and beat down, that's all from hell. It's from the devil. Come on. That's from hell. God isn't sending that to you. God's not sending condemnation and vexation down to you. He's not sending down. He's saying, you know, you sure are a mess, and you sure are beat up, and you sure are lost. He's saying, you are my child. You are my anointed and appointed one to stand up and go forth with the power of God in your mouth and in your hands and begin to set people free from the works of the devil. And he's done a good job at tormenting all these people in this community that don't know Jesus, the ones that don't. And God is sending us to do a very good job of setting them free from that. You know why? Because 1 John also says this, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This power that's tormenting these people is weak in comparison to the power living in you to set them free. But the problem that happens in my life is I become unconvinced of what God has said to me, and I begin to be convinced of what the enemy has said to me through a thing called self-talk. You know what self-talk is? Is that conversation going on in your own soul all day where the enemy's working and my own humanity's working, 
But when we come to prayer school, it's like the psalmist said, my foot almost slipped. I came close to falling off, looking around and thinking, man, I really didn't do it well. I should have followed those other people. I should have gone off with those people that didn't know God. At least they've got money and they've got cars and stuff. Until I came into the house of God and I saw their end. And then I knew their destiny is death. And I realized I came close to cashing in my faith and trusting in evil things until I was in the presence of God and I saw the Lord again. Tonight, that's where we are. We're in the presence of God. Alex's words caused us to see the Lord again. Mom's message yesterday caused us to see the Lord again, to come back and say, oh God, we enter into the presence of the living God to believe. We enter into the presence of God to be delivered of everything that's working against us. We enter into the presence of God to be set free tonight of everything that's condemning us, to throw off and to cast off every weight, to throw off and to cast off every bondage, to throw off and cast off every demonic thing that's been working on me, chewing on me, chewing on my mind, chewing on my body, chewing on my home, chewing on my spirit. Tonight, right now, I enter in to the presence of God and I begin to throw off just for a few minutes, we begin to cast off this weight. Every person in here, we surrender our self-talk. Every person in here, we surrender our self-talk and we bring it back under the word of God and we say, Lord, forgive us. <laughs> Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, oh God, for entering into dialogues in our own heart that eventually even make out of our own mouth that are full of unbelief and condemnation. And instead, Lord, we come under the power of the Holy Ghost for the renewing of our mind that has been heard in the presence of God tonight. Quickly, everyone in here is transitioning from a place of, of being vexed and being fought against. If you came in that way, it doesn't take all night. We enter into the power of God to say we're leaving behind that vexation. We're leaving behind. We're leaving behind that anxiety and we're stepping in. We're stepping into our identity. We're stepping into our anointing. We're stepping into our calling. We're stepping into our gift and grace. Tonight, I become what I was called to be. Tonight, I become what I was called to be.